The Lord be with you. The Bible gets going right at the beginning with the universe formed in all of its newness. It's the Adam and Eve story that we all know. It's the the first peoples planted in a garden, fashioned in the image and likeness of their creator, nourished by the fruits of the earth, tasked with naming and keeping plants and beasts and wild things. Human persons, free, naked, and yet without shame. Part of the deep wisdom of the Garden of Eden stories is the way they name the freshness and the possibility, the goodness of the earth and the human race's great potential. While also at the same time showing us the tenuous beauty of we human creatures, the terrible consequences of our mistakes, our recklessness, our self-deception, Because the harmony of the garden wouldn't last. Humanity would finally be cast out into the wild lands beyond the gates of Eden. Together, the human race took a look around and said, So, now what? So now what? The the Hebrew scriptures continue with the story of a dysfunctional family that would become a nation. And it's a really wild ride. It's gritty and it's visceral and it's terrifying and embarrassing and sometimes really shocking. There are real tragic consequences, sometimes grim details. Through it all, God's promises and predictions, there's miracle babies and there's daughters and there's sons and there's deceptions and there's horrifying choices There's rage and there's sadness, dramatic rescues, there's times of wandering, there's conquests and losses. A time for people to plant and build and harvest prophets and priests, wise and true rulers, corrupt and wicked leaders, destruction and chaos, devastation brought brought about by the aspirations of great empires. Slavery, exile, grief, loss. There's hope and there's waiting. And through all of it, page after page of questioning in the Psalms, turning point moments. Do you have a game plan here, God? Where shall we go? What shall we do? Am I a part of this in light of everything that's happened? So now, what? The passage from Luke 24 that Adrian read for us today is one of the great so-now-what passages of Scripture. This gospel story has been its own wild ride. Those local small-town folks, friends friends and disciples, uprooting their lives, called to leave their old jobs, to follow Jesus, the great teacher and prophet from Nazareth following him on his strange and amazing travels, healings and miracles, strange teachings and astonishing wisdom, parables about the kingdom of God. This, of course, was all before the horrifying events of Holy Week, definitely a now 
what moment? The miracle of the resurrection happens, and then in the days to follow, the resurrected Jesus has been popping up in all sorts of places for little visits with his old friends. Meeting them, surprising them just by showing up, hanging out like that's what you do after you've conquered death. It's worth noting that Jesus didn't meet them with a lecture or a scolding. Remember, these friends to the end, beloved disciples who promised that they would be with him and go with him anywhere, yeah, well, things really didn't go down like that, did they? Every one of them abandoned Jesus in those final excruciating hours. But Jesus has no harsh words for them. No, I told you so's. Just the serene presence of a dear friend standing in their midst and saying, Peace be with you. Amazing, right? That right there is its own gospel, enough for today even, but we've got a lot more to cover. The text tells us that the disciples were scared out of their minds, and no doubt they had some very understandable questions. Is this the same guy we've known all along? Or did Jesus have a secret twin, like a character from a telenovela? Is he really back, or is this some sort of illusion? Are we being visited by a ghost? Maybe this is a spiritual sort of reappearance. Should we check him for little wings? Jesus happily accommodates all of their requests, showing him the scars on his body. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Again, understandably, this is a lot to take in. And still, while in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. Jesus said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they bring him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Do you have anything to eat? Broiled fish? Let's be clear, this is not some sort of homespun, wholesome quirk of the story. This is critical theology. A key part of the revelation of Christ in the world. As the Apostle Paul puts it, this is the hope to which he has called us. This same Jesus that the disciples had known all this time, his flesh and bone, heart and lungs, and a digestive system and everything, a person, the resurrected one, has a body. For a lot of reasons, many of us come from religious traditions with the negative view of flesh and blood. Our body is where all the problematic and scandalous and shameful stuff happens after all. Bodies, they break down. They fail us. Bodies get old and weary. Bodies get maimed and misused and tortured and commodified and exploited. Many of us, even at the very best of times, have really complicated relationships with our own bodies. It's size and it's shape 
and its smell, from puberty all the way to dad bod, our needs, our urges, our hormones and our desires, our sex organs, our sex appeal, Body shaming and body obsession is a terrific marketing tool because our bodies can be so embarrassing, so humiliating, and there are so many voices to assure us that we are right to be humiliated and ashamed. Little wonder then that so much bad theology ignores our biology and talks about spirituality as though it were an out-of-body experience a venture to reach a higher spiritual plane, a final escape from the struggles of the flesh, as if the end goal of the Christian faith will be one day realized when we leave this body behind and join the spirits in the sky. The good news, folks, is that God is not embarrassed by your body. God does not despise your flesh The creator loves the human creature in all its variations, formed of flesh and blood, fashioned in the image and likeness of their maker. But don't take my word for it. The resurrected Christ sat and ate broiled fish with his friends because his presence was the proclamation of a hope for every body. The fleshing out of God's plan to be united with all creation. The human one came to save humans. After talking with his friends a little longer, calling them as living witnesses to all these things, Jesus told them to stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So now what? As miracles in the Bible go, the ascension is pretty intense, and it would have been a really weird thing to witness. One minute, Jesus is standing there blessing his disciples, and then he's mysteriously taken up to heaven, and the amazed disciples are left standing there, staring up at the sky, the great so-now-what moment at the end of Luke's gospel. What are we waiting for, exactly? What has changed What does it mean for us? What comes next? Well, for a start, the Ascended One has a body. Right now, heaven's interests are gritty and physical, deeply invested and intimately connected to the world we inhabit. All of its breathtaking beauty and every bit of its profound suffering. The one who sits at the right hand of God has a body, and that is no small thing. Even as the reverberations of that ascension day hang in the air all these years later, we, the church, are inheritors of the living witness of those same disciples. And we too, so often, look to the heavens and we ask So now what? This promise from the resurrected Christ? That's our reply. This is what we were made for, friends, fashioned in the image and likeness of our Creator and our Savior. Because friends of Jesus are made for love and friendship. 
forgiving and receiving much mercy. Risking, sharing, living, working, praying for peace with our brothers and sisters, our friends and enemies. All of it happens in these blessed bodies of ours. We are called to be at peace with all of creation. We are made for nourishment and celebration, for faithful work and holy purposes. We are made to be reconciled with the scorched and wounded earth and its peoples. This planet of ours that teems with living creatures in so many varieties, we are made to be a diverse people, passionate in the pursuit of fairness in the world. Even as we name our mutual vulnerabilities, grateful that shame need not own us. Celebrating our shared purposes, fragile and yet accomplishing so many great things together. Blessed mortals with hands and feet who find joy in common humanity. Shared bread. Abundant grace and mercy. Because this is what we were made for. Thanks be to God.